Merry Christmas, one and all. This is the Full 10 Yards NFL Podcast. Hello, everyone. Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the Full 10 Yard NFL Podcast. did say at the back end of last week we weren't a hundred percent sure of the schedule with it being the festive season upon us but i'm delighted to say that you have got myself as usual in the house chair and i'm joined by josh this afternoon josh how you doing buddy i'm good mate i've uh, i think i've just got over the uh the, the last few seconds of monday night's game uh and i'm back ready to talk about all things nfl how about you have you got over it yet yeah, just about, mate, just about. We were going to record on Tuesday, but Josh did say, uh, I think I'm going to need 24 hours of uh, NFL free in my life. So, uh, And I was right. I was in no shape to talk yesterday whatsoever. Yeah, it was a tough loss. I'm sure we'll get onto that briefly in terms of the, the Monday night football. That was supposed to be the Saturday night football, and we'll get into all of that as well. Let's start there, Josh. We, we speculated a lot last week around what the NFL might or might not do. Um, turns out they've obviously had a pretty decent overhaul of the COVID protocols. Didn't really help necessarily last week for teams that essentially had to abide by what were the protocols at the time of the testing, etc., etc. But essentially, in a nutshell, let's make it quite simple. If you are asymptomatic and vaccinated, you are highly unlikely to not get tested. Um, if you do get tested and you are positive, then you still have to produce negative tests to come back. But it is only one negative test now. No change to unvaccinated players, still tested daily. And obviously, if they do test positive, as has been the case with Cole Beasley this week, uh, 10 days out as a minimum from, obviously, the test. Um, so in theory, vaccinated players, much less chance now to end up on the COVID list. Um, the league did move three games this week. Um, whether they move any moving forward, I think now is highly, highly unlikely, but we will wait and see. It seems as though the Kansas City Chiefs are this week's hotspot team with a number of players going on the COVID list. Um, so just get your reaction, mate, to um, what the league did. And, you know, does that mean that we get through the next three or four weeks um, and get the season completed on time? Uh, to answer that question first, yes, this was entirely about making sure the next couple of months can happen without any major um, any major overhauls to COVID lists. Um, realistically, if you put Cleveland's, Washington's, and I can't remember who the other team was that was in a major disarray in their... Rams. Uh, the Rams. Rams, yes, that's right, and and the Rams. If you put all of those into last week's pro, into this week's protocols last week, then you would have only have had maybe three or four out for each team. So you know, it, it massively helps, and I think that realistically, this is the way that sports going to have to be going forward. Um, it, it's a fact that pretty much all sports leagues are very keen to have all of their players vaccinated uh, the NFL has probably been the loudest proponent of that in 
not just um, comms and rules to players, but also in comms to fans. I think that the NFL has probably been the loudest in doing that. And it shows here as well the fact that they will not not really even test vaccinated players apart from the odd spot check. I believe that they will still have to do the odd spot, che- spot check. But, um, you know, realistically, if you're asymptomatic, you're unlikely to test at all. Um, of which is a good thing, I think, for the league. In terms of in terms of individual player health, I guess it comes down to the fact that none of these players have had bad reactions to COVID this year, from what I've read. I've not read any major news articles in that manner. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that there was many cases of it being bad the year before, really. I think there was a couple of players that did react quite badly to it but not many so they're following the science or whatever their science suggests so it probably works for them on that basis um it's typical that the kansas city chiefs are probably going to be the last team with a major outbreak because they're playing the pittsburgh steelers and hey you know they get all the luck in the world so uh yeah that's typical but apart from that i think that this is probably the best case scenario that they could have expected really yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Um, you know, again, let's not uh, get into an hour of debate on this. Um, we we did enough on it last week. Um, but, you know, it seems like a sensible enough halfway house approach um, to try and protect the product while also making sure the players that are fit and healthy enough to participate can get on the field and do just that. We mentioned the Chiefs. They obviously started out week number 15 with a big game on Thursday night football. Probably would have been, <laughs> if they'd known what was around the corner, probably an even bigger game, but they'll be delighted then, mate, that they got the job done. We speculated that they probably would do so. They seem to have really hit form at just the right time. 34-28 against the Chargers. Um, like I say, huge win. All but wraps up the AFC West, you would have assumed. Um, although, obviously, mathematically, it's not quite done yet. Um, but a really good performance from the Chiefs in this one, mate. It was. Um, you can tell that Patrick Mahomes is definitely back in terms of um, the Kansas offense. And, you know, he threw for 410 yards off 31 for 47, uh, three touchdowns in the INT. Uh, he was also actually their um, their biggest rusher as well with uh, 32 yards off three carries. So you can tell that the offense is back to putting everything through Patrick Mahomes and he seems comfortable enough with that. Uh, the Chiefs ended up being the biggest winners from this week uh, with the Titans losing as well. It means that they are pretty much, unless something pretty disastrous happens, they're pretty much sewn up for the number one seed. Um, obviously, this next week, COVID week with the Steelers pending, I'd say. But, you know, they, they definitely lucked out. Something of which I do really want to push, though, is that the Chargers had this game in their hands if Brandon Staley wasn't so goddamn adamant on going for it on every fourth down instead of kicking field goals. What is this league's... What is the obsession with going for it on fourth downs when you've got, when you've got three points available? I know the Chargers don't have a great history in kicking field goals from simple ranges, but the Chargers left 12 points, I think it was, on the field on um, on Thursday night. That more than 
that would have more than seen them over the line. They had the Chiefs well and truly in their pocket in the first half. Um, you know, it was 14-10 at the half. It should have been 24-10, I think, at that point. Um, and that would have seen them out of sight. So, you know, people, people keep lauding Staley as this incredibly intelligent guy. But the Chargers have left so many points on the field in the last few weeks that, you know, the Chargers could be in a much better position than they are. And I think that this over-aggression is just, it's too much. And it's shooting them in the foot at the moment more than anything else. Yeah, it never looks good when it doesn't work. You know me, I'm a big fan of the aggressive approach in general terms. But yeah, to your point there, they turn the ball over on downs on the Kansas City five-yard line on their opening drive. Um, they turn the ball over on downs yet again um, to end the half also when they were down at the one-yard line. Um, obviously, the clock as well was against them there, but it was fourth and one with three seconds remaining. Um, and they obviously went for it and didn't convert there. And like you say, two others where they were certainly more, you know, back in terms of traditional field goal range, so to speak, um, that they passed up the opportunity. A number of people complained as well that they didn't get the chance to possess the ball in overtime. I've got to be honest, I'm sick of hearing that argument. I really am. Really, really, I'm sick of hearing it. When the Chiefs tied the game, it was 28 apiece. There was one minute and 16 seconds left on the clock. If the Chargers had scored, the Chiefs wouldn't have got the ball back. That would have been game over. It took the Chiefs one minute and 15 seconds in overtime to score. So, effectively, once the game was tied, they both had one minute and 15 seconds with the ball. The Chiefs scored. The Chargers didn't. End of. Um, Every time it happens, it drives me absolutely insane that people still complain and moan about it. You know, the game could go on forever. You know, if they score a touchdown and they answer with a touchdown, do they get it back again? If they score another touchdown... You know, there's two sides to the ball, and ultimately, you know, yeah, winning the coin toss is obviously advantageous. But if your defence holds up, it could be advantageous to get the ball second because then you don't have to score a touchdown. You then only have to get a, a field goal. So sick and tired of hearing the argument personally, mate. I don't know your view on it. XFL overtime rules. I oh. fe- I feel like that was by far the best uh, the the best overtime that um, that I've ever seen. I would happily have that in the NFL. And XFL also, how much overtime. fun would it be? How much fun would that be? The XFL, for all its bad rap, XFL overtime, XFL kickoffs, get them in as soon yeah, as possible. Agreed. And also, XFL point conversions. Get them in. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All for it. Let's move on, though. We're talking NFL, not XFL. That should hopefully be back. <laughs> is it next year or the year after? Whenever I think it's back. It's the we'll... year after, isn't it? Well, whenever it's back, I'm sure I'll be watching it. Um, New England. Hottest team in the AFC, supposedly. Uh, They fall to the Colts. You've been high on the Colts all year. I've also liked the Colts. Um, It feels as though they really have come all the way back in terms of the divisional race, and they're helped by the Titans getting in their own way seemingly on Sunday. We'll talk about that shortly, but a huge win here for Indianapolis. Jonathan Taylor, ice in the game, obviously in the fourth quarter with that 67-yard rush. Um, He continues to stake his claim for MVP. This was a huge game, wasn't it, mate? 170 yards in total for Taylor. I was brimming from ear to ear when I saw the result of this one because I remember last week both you and Steve both said, we'll get on the Colts train if I end up beating the Pats. Well, all aboard, you know, it's finally here. The Colts train is well and truly rolling. They've really deserved this. And also for, you know, one of the things which I fall for almost every week is that Bill Belichick will take away your main playmaker. 
The cult made it incredibly clear that they were going to use Jonathan Taylor, and they used him to great effect. Here's the stat line, not of Jonathan Taylor, but of Carson Wentz. Five completions off 12 attempts for 57 yards, a touchdown, and an INT. Right? That's the quarterback. They they went solely on the run. 29 carries Jonathan Taylor got for his 170, an average of 5.9, of which shows that really... They were doing relatively well at stopping him for most of the game because 70 of those yards came on one touchdown run to ice the game off. Uh, it was it was the Colts' defense that just completely nullified the Patriots. They didn't score until the fourth quarter, the Patriots. The Colts' defense is legit. I think that they're getting hot at just the right time. They've got good games to close out the year. I favor them to favor them against the Cardinals next week, actually, to just keep this train running because the Cardinals look a wreck right now. Um, the Colts, I reckon, may miss. I think they miss out on the AFC South title, but they'll be up there with one of the top wild card seeds. Well, I still think that AFC uh, South is very much employable, but like I said, we'll touch on Tennessee shortly. In terms of the Patriots, though, obviously moves them to 9-5. and five. Buffalo took advantage, routine victory for them, 31-14 over Carolina. Sets up a huge game this week, doesn't it? The rematch between Buffalo and New England. Oh, doesn't it just? Doesn't it wonder just? If, wonder if Mac Jones is going to throw more than two passes this week. We'll wait and see. <laughs> Um, Cincinnati-Denver, oh my God. Um, it was a game that was important to us, mate, so I tried my best to watch it. Talk about a snooze fest. 15 points to 10, horrible-looking injury for Teddy Bridgewater in this one yeah. as well, um, which probably all but finishes Denver in terms of their um, wildcard aspirations. Yes, they're still at 7-7, seven and seven, but that AFC is so congested, you just don't realistically see a path for Denver now to get there. Huge win, and that's all that mattered for Cincinnati. Ultimately, at this stage of the season, it is about results. Moves them to 8-6. and six. The Detroit Lions, wow. Coupon buster of the week, 30-12 yep. to 12 over the Arizona Cardinals. We said last week, Steve said, is it time for the Cardinals to start getting worried? If I was the Cardinals, I'd be very, very worried. Um, oh, yes, anyone that loses to the Lions should be worried. Should be tanking if you're losing to the Lions. Yeah, not good at all. Um, you know, and this this was with Kyler Murray behind centre as well. You know, they've managed a few games without him. This was with him being there, being present. Uh, just nothing worked, did it? Nothing worked at all. Um, and the Lions handily taking care of business. Jared Goff um, with another victory over the Cardinals in his career. Um, the main so well thing about the main thing about that performance was the Lions stopping their run game, mm. stopping the Cardinals' run game. James Connor only had 39 yards um, in that game off eight carries. I think they gave up on the run way too early, the Cardinals. Yeah. But the Lions have been really good at stuffing the run in the middle. Uh, they usually get burned on the outside. But Kyler Murray doesn't play a standard quarterback game. Um, you know, he, he won't stay in the pocket. His line isn't the best. He ends up getting frantic all over the place. A super aggressive Dan Campbell team, you know, wants that sort of thing. It licks its chops for that. So, yeah, as much as this was a massive shock victory, the, you know, the components are there. No, most definitely, mate. And, you know, what? all I would say... Yes, they obviously need to address the skill positions massively, but 
this Lions team are pretty decent in the trenches on both sides of the ball, yeah. and that's where you start any rebuild from. Yes, they obviously need some weapons. You know, you, you would argue they obviously are going to try and improve at the quarterback position. Um, obviously, not the draft necessarily to do that in. Um, although, with that being said, there's always one that does come out. It's just about can you get the right one? Um, yeah. You know, but essentially, if they can, if they can get DeAndre Swift healthy, um, you know, he's a decent running back. But they they could certainly do with some weapons at, at the receiver position. Um, but this Lions team, like I say, maybe brighter things. Um, well, certainly brighter things are ahead. You can't get anywhere to eleven and one. But uh, you know where I'm coming from. I don't think the rebuild will take quite as long as what people think. Uh, two others in rebuild: Houston thirty, Jacksonville sixteen. Um, Urban Meyer fired after we recorded the podcast last week. I don't think we need to spend long talking about it, mate, because it seemed as though it was just a case of if rather than when. Uh, sorry, yeah. when rather than if even. That makes more sense. Um, yeah, Jacksonville. <laughs> Back to number one in the uh, draft order, if anything. That's got to be the positive they take from this. Absolutely. That and they found out that Urban Meyer decided to kick his kicker. I don't think mm. I've ever heard that sort of thing before a head coach kicking their kicker but uh you know that's where we are now apparently urban meyer excellent coach that's how that's how you coach yeah very strange very strange obviously a, a great career um, in terms of uh, college in a higher state and everything but certainly hasn't worked out in the nfl be gobsmacked if he's anywhere near an NFL team in the future. I think that's Shouldn't pretty be. much his uh, career done. Uh, Miami continue there, winning run 31-24 over the Jets. They still sneaking around. Like I so that AFC is congested, uh, but Miami as hot as anybody. Um, another bad day for New York altogether because the Giants fall 21-6 to to the Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys, I believe, punch their ticket to the playoffs with that victory. Tennessee 13, Pittsburgh 19. Now, we've touched on this one a couple of times and said we would talk about it. Um, What on earth is happening to the Tennessee Titans? Have you ever seen such a sloppy second-half performance where the turnovers just kept coming and coming and coming and coming? To be fair to the defence, they did everything they possibly could to keep giving the offence chances. And every time they gave them chances... They just turned the ball over again. It was three Chris Boswell field goals in the fourth quarter that ultimately proved to be the difference. Um, nine to, uh, sorry, 16 unanswered points for the Steelers um, from a score of 13-3. They end up winning 19-13. Yes, we're slightly biased. We're Browns fans. But look, this Pittsburgh team is not good. It is not good. And the Tennessee Titans... God knows what they have done. God knows what has happened to Ryan Tannehill. He's gone from being a steady, reliable quarterback who was, if anything, in arguments, you know, probably underrated and certainly you could have made a case for a top 10 quarterback since he's moved to the Titans. But my word, what on earth has happened? And I know they've obviously got some injuries, Josh, but you know, this is a team that should have had the AFC South won by now. And I don't think they have got it won, mate. Yeah, so... Their issue is that they have absolutely no weapons now. They are using whatever whatever guys that they can. You know, their their main receiver their main receivers were Nick Westbrook and Chester Rogers, who, you know, I did the Titans um pages for the um for the annual this year and I don't remember writing those names. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you you're using next man up tactics. Ryan Tannehill's not that much of a good quarterback to make that happen and it shows you know he was 23 off 32 for 150 yards 
and no no TDs. They were reliant on Deonta Foreman and, and this rushing attack. It worked. You know, realistically, when you look at the main stat, the Titans outgained the Steelers 318 to 168. Um, you know, they were they completely stopped the run game for, for the Steelers. They only had 35 net rushing yards and limited Ben to 133 passing yards. You know, this game, this game looks one. You don't look at the scoreline. This looks like the Titans dominated. But once again, in a Titans loss, the Tennessee Titans outgained by at least double. This has happened more than once before. The Titans outgained by about double. And they end up turning the ball over in the red zone or, you know, where where points are available. It happened way too often then. It's happened way too often before. It seems a very Titans blueprint. Now, you talk about the uh, AFC South being in in trouble uh, for, for the Titans. What the Titans do have, though, is a relatively serene end to the season. Um They've got the 49ers next, of which I actually do give to the 49ers personally. But then they've got the Dolphins and the Texans. Now, the Dolphins I've just seen as winning against crap teams so far, really. I don't give them many kudos. They almost lost to the Jets the other week, really, until they finally got their asses into gear in that fourth quarter. And then you got the Texans, who... If you're not the Jags or the Jets or someone like that, then they're going to lose. So, you know, the Titans, I think, will end up being 11-6, and six, um, of which then you've got the head-to-head with Indianapolis and Tennessee have won that 2-0. So, you know, it's... Uh, I think that the Titans end up doing okay. I think they end up 11-6. and six. I think they end up being comfortably in there, potentially even as the second seed. But... There are issues. They would be the worst second seed that we've seen for a long time if they don't get some of these weapons back. Yeah, injuries certainly playing a huge part. On, I mean, are you? I certainly think the 49ers probably handled them this week. I think the the Miami game could be could be very very close indeed. Um, I'm I'm not convinced that Miami can't uh, get that victory there. They'll be absolutely buoyed if they're coming in off the back of a seven game win streak. Um, we'll wait and see what transpires. Uh, Green Bay 31, Baltimore 30. Uh, John Harbaugh gets lauded again for going for two for winning the game, even though they lost the game. That's twice now in three weeks that this has happened. We talked a little bit about Brandon Staley earlier. You've got the most accurate field goal kicker in NFL history on the sideline, um, you know, and the way that that second half had panned out, you know, they'd got Green Bay reeling, um, you know, they'd they'd just come back from 31-17. All the momentum was there. I mean, look, again, he looks a genius if it works. But look, so this is two weeks out of three, Josh, that it hasn't worked. And all of a sudden, this... Ravens team are sitting at eight and six. They could be sitting at ten and four. Um, you know, again, is, is he going to learn? Is he going to change? Probably not. But why do we keep lauding people for making these wrong decisions? I know why. I don't get it. Um, you may not have seen it. Uh, have Have you seen John Harbaugh ask Huntley whether or not to go for it? I haven't. Um, so there is a there there is a mic situation of which um, was released the day after, of which basically shows Harbaugh ask Huntley about ten or eleven times. You know, do you want to go for it? I think we've got the momentum to go through into overtime, so don't feel like you have to. But if you feel confident, we can draw up a play. Is this the play you want to go for? 
you know, he he seems almost like he's trying to convince his backup quarterback to go into overtime. But Huntley's just there like, no, I got this. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, I want a bath. Let's go. <laughs> you know, um, and it was it was the exact same play. I think it was as with the Browns. It was a PA rollout to the right. And you try and find Mark Andrews, of which, you know, as we all know, is the Ravens offensive handbook. You either find Mark Andrews or you run. It's one or the other because no other receivers exist in the Baltimore Ravens offense. It just doesn't happen. Um, And then you've got Hollywood Brown. Poor Sard. You know, I mean, I don't personally care, but, you know, poor Sard. He's running through the middle of the field untouched he has got about 10 yards of space around him the wind's there but Huntley's just so laser focused on Mark Andrews just like I was because he was the only guy I was looking for Um, and I'm pretty sure the whole world was the same but uh, yeah I don't find that leadership from Harbour Harbour should have just gone nah kick it OT we've got it in OT because they were rolling you know, the yep. momentum is with them. And I always say that momentum counts more. You know, if the Ravens just get get it to a tie, I reckon that momentum swings the coin toss in your favor. Because it always seems to happen. If you've got massive momentum, then the coin toss seems to go in your way or the defense makes a stop for you, one or the other. And you roll onto the win. And it just seems that analytics and... Other things like that have just got in the way of that. Yeah, it's a it's a strange one. It really is. I mean, lost in all of this. That's now a three game losing skid as well for the Ravens. They finish out with the Bengals this week, the Rams, and the Steelers. Um, so yeah, it'll be you're, interesting you're looking to for see. two losses out the three, Sean. Just to let you know, oh, you're looking I, for I, Cincinnati I, I, to win this week. <laughs> you're looking for the Rams to win the week after, and then you're actually looking for them to beat the Steelers after that. Just to let you yeah. know that's your rooting guide. Well, we'll see, mate. I'm sure we'll have it all figured out by then, my friend. Let's see where we get to after Saturday. We'll touch on that shortly. Um, San Francisco continue to roll. They move impressively into the number six seed for the NFC as things stand 31-13 over Atlanta. The New Orleans Saints, what a defensive performance. This was another team that obviously suffered from having some of their weapons not available in terms of Tampa Bay. Terrible injury to Chris Godwin and obviously wish him well in his recovery. Um, you know, nobody likes to see that. And I know that people have been quite vocal about those kind of tackles. I do feel for defenders. You can't hit high, you can't hit low. It's it's becoming an incredibly difficult position to to play. Um, but for the first time in his career, Tom Brady doesn't put any points on the scoreboard. Just an absolute defensive domination, wasn't it, mate? Really was. It really was, and the New Orleans Saints continue to have the Buccaneers number. It's weird how even even now with super teams and all sorts like that, you still get bogey teams. You know, you still have teams where it doesn't matter how good you are, a, a team can roll in with their backs against the wall. Because let's face it, the New Orleans Saints' backs are against the wall when it comes to talent at the moment. And they just come in and they do that to you. The Saints defense is not good enough to put a goose egg on Tom Brady's Buccaneers, really. But they found a way to do it. You know, they 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 did it by just forcing him onto third long and implying pressure. It was a clinic, really. Sean Payton has seemingly always had um, the Buccaneers number, but all, always seemed to also have Tom's number. 
Um, Tom Brady does not like the New Orleans Saints, and it shows. And you know, all, all the all the better to them. The Saints over the last few weeks have shown that they can get wins out of anything. You know, you could give them whatever, and they can find ways to win. Taysom Hill ends up with the dub. Um, I, I'm sure that he has done himself um, a lot of favours there in terms of potentially becoming a starter for the new season as well, because obviously at the moment this is an emergency thing. So, yeah, all the power to them at the moment. They're looking playoff bound all of a sudden. Yeah, getting tight at the uh, at those wildcard spots in the NFC as well. Let's move on then, Monday and Tuesday. So we had doubleheaders both days with the rearranged games due to COVID. So we started off in Cleveland. Cleveland 14, the Vegas Raiders 16. Last second walk-off, Daniel Carlson, 48-yard field goal. After it looked as though Nick Mullins and the depleted Browns with still, what was it, 18 players unavailable on the COVID yeah. list despite the change in protocols, as we said, which probably would have seen them have about 10 or 12 of those players actually available had it happened this week. Um, you know, monumental effort, but just fell short, mate. So it basically, it basically summarised the Browns season in a nutshell for me, that game. Yeah, and to be quite honest with you, it was it was that last procession of the Raiders going down the field that's pretty much uh, defining uh, the Brown season for me, where no matter how much effort you put in, the fact that Miles Garrett ends up doing his groin as well and he's still out there and still plugging away, causing pressure, the fact that the Raiders were able to make the quick throws, evade pressure, we we not able to make our tackles, and then you put them into a difficult field goal position. Forty eight yards is a difficult distance to make it from. You know, it's not simple when you've got the clock counting down to zero. And Carlson makes it look like it's a twenty yard chip shot. It it was just way too easy and I was telling you after the game, it took me a good half an hour to actually find the strength to put weight on my legs afterwards because I was that gutted. I don't think I've heard um, First Energy Stadium that loud in probably a good year or so. It's the loudest I've heard it in a long time. The fans were so proud of these guys and just so gutted that it ended like this. Once again, a game against the Raiders ends up in in gutting circumstances. It's always a close one with them. And, you know, there's always something or other that ends up pulling us out. But I have to admit, I was proud of them. Um, I don't think the Raiders played great. I thought that the Browns played well with the players that they had. And I think that if you add the players in, um, I think that they should probably win two out of the next three. Um, you know, if that level of performance is put in, um, I, I was definitely encouraged. But also, just a quick one for you, Sean. You've got third and three. You've got three yards to win out this game. You've not had a lot of traction with Nick Chubb running the ball. The Raiders have stacked the box where they could. Do you still give it to Nick Chubb and run that, that direction? Or do you just put it down to execution rather than the play call? No, look, look, I'm not going to be hypocritical. You know me. I, I have no issue with handing the ball off. Um, 
he's the best player that's certainly on the team. You could argue he's that in terms of when everyone's healthy, certainly in terms of the personnel that were available on the night. He was by far the best player that was at their disposal. Uh, he'd had a great second half after a relatively quiet first half. You know, he ended the night with 91 yards off 23 carries. Um, you know, he was the man that scored the rushing touchdown, you know, I had no problem with the call. I wish they'd have ran left as opposed to running right. I thought there was much more um, traction running left throughout the course of the evening. So that would have been the way that I would have gone. I always say the same thing, mate. After the event, if it doesn't work, it's always extremely easy to criticise. I know there's the argument that the Raiders were expecting it. I, I get all of that. You know, the reality is, you know, again, if you make the yards great nobody then says anything about it if you don't make the yards again there's two sides to the football you have to trust your defense to to hold up you know the play that that frustrated me more than the Nick Chubb not getting three yards was Foster Moreau somehow managing to catch a dump off pass and take it 12 yards and run out of bounds when three Browns players could have potentially tackled him inbounds which would have brought up third down with the clock running I think you know there's 22 seconds left when he went out of bounds it wouldn't have been snapped again until about 12 seconds and they could have either quarterback snuck it to try and pick up the yard and spike the ball for one Hail Mary they could have obviously tried a very quick pass there and then to try and get into field goal range but you know essentially that was the the backbreaker mate so I've got no problem with it in, in principle and look, like I say, with a shorthand, the Browns got plenty to be proud of. But you get no prizes for being proud of yourselves. They need to find some wins. <laughs> no, you don't. They need to find some wins. Uh, Monday, traditional Monday night football, Minnesota 17-9 over Chicago. Um, Chicago just can't wait for the season to end and probably move on from Matt Nagy. Um, surprise, Minnesota only managed to put up 17 with all of the injuries in the Chicago secondary. And then the Wasn't two games... Night for Cousins. No, wasn't really it wasn't. a good night for Cousins at all, no, but they got the job done, and that's all that matters. It certainly does, certainly does. And then the two Tuesday games, as they were Washington, another team that didn't really benefit from the new rules, managed to get a couple of players back, but certainly still massively depleted. And Philadelphia, despite giving up a 10-point lead in the first quarter, um, came back to win this one 27-17. to Um Jalen Hurts back in the lineup for this one. Uh, that, there's that horrible pass that goes off Miles got Miles got at Dallas got its foot and ends up as an interception. They have got the to heel interception. About... The heel have, interception. It's great. I mean, it's you never want to be on the other end of that. But what a play! That will be shown for weeks. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? And the fact that he it will really get credited is. or discredited, whichever way you want to describe it, with an interception, he's he's quite frankly <laughs> ludicrous. I'd be interested to see what PFF grade that throw at. There you go for all of you <laughs> PFF fans. But um, Washington obviously down Taylor Heineke, obviously um, starting Garrett Gill. But again, look, they were in the same position. The Browns were plenty of them also to probably be proud of. You know, they were very much in the game. You know, it was 20 points to 17 going sort of halfway into the fourth quarter. Um, but unfortunately, COVID um, playing a big impact in that one. And the final game impacted by COVID, the Rams, despite their issues, uh, still able to take care of business um, at home against the Seahawks. Probably a good opponent for them to be playing the way that the Seahawks have been in recent yeah. weeks. 
First time that the Seahawks are going to finish with a losing record since Russell Wilson was drafted. And we've talked about it enough. It feels like Pete Carroll's time is coming to an end, probably another two or three weeks there. Um, And it feels like that one will be done as well. Uh, But Cooper Cup continues to just be an absolute superstar, doesn't he? Another nine catches, 136 yards, two more touchdowns. Just if you keep in score, Howdell back in one catch, seven yards. So I yeah. wasn't going to say it. I, I looked it up last this morning, but I wasn't going to say it. Yeah, so there you go. So, yeah, Cooper Cup, most definitely still very much the guy in LA, isn't he? Right, mate, that's week 15. Week 16 is very fast approaching. We'll be kicking off tomorrow with those Titans, as we discussed, against the 49ers on Thursday night football. Juicy one to open us up with, mate. Yeah. Yeah, ish. I mean, I think that what you said earlier definitely has some clout. The fact that the Titans just don't have the weapons at the moment. The 49ers seem to be on a roll. I'd expect the 49ers to do it um, simply because the momentum is swinging that way. The Titans are going to go to San Francisco. Or, or no, or is it at Nissan? Google do it the wrong way around. They do it in the traditional UK style. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, forget that bit. But I still expect the 49ers to go out there and win it um, and then give themselves a nice early Christmas present of practically being in the playoffs. Yeah, could well be, could well be. That's obviously, like I say, Thursday night football, early hours of Christmas Eve morning. We then have football on Christmas Day. So 9.30 Christmas Day, the Browns travel to the Packers. I've got to say, when this schedule was announced back in April, I looked at this and instantly thought, how on earth am I going to be able to watch this on Christmas Day? Um, I'm sure I'll find a way, because I could certainly make the argument that it's a meaningful game. Um, Look, the Browns can still lose this and the season won't be over, but a, a win would be massively, massively beneficial. Marquez Valdez-Scantling onto the COVID list for the Packers. Keep your eyes on that as to whether that oh, really? starts. Keep your eyes peeled as to whether that starts a chain reaction. Um, maybe the Browns start getting players back as the Packers start losing players this week. We will wait and see. It's horrible that it's having such an impact, isn't it, at this crucial stage <laughs> of the season. Um but Josh, you know, all joking aside, the, the Packers certainly playing for the number one seed in that NFC. They're the favourites to obviously clinch that now after the results this weekend. So they've got more than enough to play for themselves. You know, it's going to be a huge task for the Browns, whichever way you look at it. It is. It really is. Um, the good news, obviously, for the Browns is that most of their players should be back just from the isolation protocols, if not testing negative. So in terms of having a team to actually go out there and play, they should have most of their starters back. And also as a result, due to immunity, etc., they should be able to um, play out the rest of the season without issue as well. Um, I'm of the I'm of the minority that look at this as a free space. Um, realistically, the division is what's going to be important for Cleveland. And as much as a win here would obviously provide pr- provide that breathing room if, in case one of the many other things doesn't happen. Realistically, the other stuff kind of has to happen for the Browns to go to, through to the playoffs. So I'm looking at this with a bit more of a, of a cheer in my step as I sit with my mistletoe mafia watching this game at 9.30 on Christmas Day. I think it's probably one of the few things that isn't making me go mad at night. But, um, you know, the 
the Packers are obviously a great team. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is having an MVP style season. There are cracks from that Ravens game. There are cracks. Um, and we've seen it throughout the season that the Packers are not a perfect team. They're a great team, but they're not a perfect team. And the Browns' defense, more than their offense, could definitely cause problems and keep the score low. Low enough for Baker and Co. to actually pull out the win? I'm unsure. Um, I'd probably say not. I'm I'm putting this in the Packers' favor by about four, but it's going to be a close one, I think. I think it's going to be another heartbreaker, really. Um, A heartbreaker at Christmas. My God, I wonder if there's a song or two about that. (laughs) Yeah, we'll wait and see. Big big injuries to watch. Miles Garrett and that groin for Cleveland. Um, Whether Jadavian Clowney can get back from the COVID list. They've also lost Tap McKinley, so they'll basically have nobody to play defensive end the way it's looking. So despite David Bakhtiari being out for Green Bay, it might not matter. Um, Later on Christmas night, early hours of Boxing Day, the Cardinals and the Colts, another tasty matchup. The NFL will be rubbing their hands together with the way these schedules come out, won't they? Oh, yes. Um, yes, they will. Yeah. So, um, an unknown Detroit Lions running back just ran for 126 yards against the Cardinals. How many do you think Jonathan Taylor might run for, mate? Yeah, no, it's going to be a lot, isn't it? It really is. And th- this has been the problem with the Cardinals all season is that if their defense is not at 100%, then they're going to get run all over. And Jonathan Taylor will happily take that up. Um, I actually see this as being a bit of a blowout for the Colts. Um, you know, that might upset the apple cart a little bit. But I don't see as to how you're going to be able to turn the ship around in five days. Um, to be able to get the Cardinals in the headspace to uh, to shut down the Colts. And the Colts are just going to have the same game plan as against the Patriots. They're just going to run all over and only pass if absolutely necessary. And, you know, against a team like the Cardinals, you probably don't even want to pass all that much. So, you know, all the strength to them. On the other side of the ball, Kyler, I mean, he's got to improve on last week. He, he didn't have a great week last week, I don't think. And the, that Colts defense is nasty. So, you know, I, I give this wholeheartedly to the Colts this week. I don't know about you. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I'd absolutely agree. I think it, it's definitely all set up for the Colts to continue their momentum. Um, and I, I do think the Cardinals are going to have to settle for a wildcard position despite being so comfortable a few weeks ago. I, I think we did this exercise about what week eight, week nine, and I think I picked the Rams at that stage and got a few questioned looks and I said then I just trust the Rams more Um, Mm. and it it seems to be potentially that that's the way that it's going to work out and the Rams will be looking to take advantage they play the Vikings big game for the Vikings as well Um, so that's a tasty one in the six o'clock window on Sunday Um, we'll wait and see whether Cooper Cup can continue his uh, domination Cup against Jefferson that's a nice little matchup isn't it at six o'clock on Sunday um, but I think it's safe to say you probably won't find the Sky Sports screen because I'm pretty sure it's going to be Patriots and Bills. I'm just going to double-check if it has been announced. It probably has been as we're recording on Wednesday. Uh, but Patriots-Bills, Josh, the rematch from a couple of weeks ago, which obviously the Patriots took care of. Um, huge, huge matchup. Obviously, if the Bills win, they'll go back top of the division. If the Patriots win, I think it clinches the division because obviously there'll be two games ahead with two to play now in the tie break. Um, so huge, huge game on Sunday. How do you see it going? And uh, just to confirm, it is absolutely on 
Sky Sports on Sunday at five o'clock. It is. I've just checked. So, one thing I'm going to say here is, apart from the weather, nothing's really changed for these two teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I haven't seen anything change, and I don't think that anything will change between now and now and Sunday in terms of these two compared to their last game. Apart from the fact there'll probably be less snow, and even then, it's uh, it's New Hampshire. There'll probably still be some snow. So, um, you know, I I think that realistically, the Patriots probably still got, still got the edge. But I'm one of these people that believe that if you've got two very very close teams, they usually split the series. So I've given it to the to the Bills on that. Um, you know, and also that just creates a bit of spice towards the end of the uh, season as well. I think that it will be a very this one will be one of the close ones going down to the wire as well. The AFC is great this year for close divisional matchups. Um, you know, which will go right to the very end of the season. I think that the Bills and the Pats will both end up in that sort of situation as well. Um, you know, the Bills still need a running game. The Pats need some players back in order for their running game to work as well. I think that's, I can't remember who is it. Harry Harris isn't um, that isn't in for the Patriots at the moment. Um, I think that they're expecting him back at some point. So you know, there, there's definitely there's definitely some room for improvement there. But I think that realistically, you're still looking at a pretty even contest. And one of which the Bills might eke out by a field goal. Certainly going to be an intriguing matchup. Let's go through a couple of the others that probably aren't as intriguing, certainly from a playoff perspective. Falcons, Lions. Um, interesting game all of a sudden, that one. Maybe the Lions. <laughs> yeah, I know, all, uh, yeah. A, I actually can't call that. Yeah, maybe the Lions put a win streak together. Um, Jets, Jaguars. Um, Eagles, Giants, Eagles still clinging on and in and around the playoffs, aren't they? They're actually sort of the eighth seed as things stand today. So certainly by no means out of the equation. You've got the Vikings, the Eagles and the Saints all at seven and seven um, with the 49 at eight and six. Um, and then you've got a couple of teams, Washington, Atlanta, six and eight, Carolina effectively not eliminated, but they are, let's be honest. Um, you know, and, and probably even Washington and Atlanta, you can probably rule out. So it seems as though it's going to be one of the Saints, the Eagles, or the Vikings. Um, in terms of this week, mate, at, the, at home against the Giants, you'd fancy the Eagles to take care of business here, wouldn't you? We don't need to spend more than 10 seconds on this. If the Eagles don't win this and they don't deserve anything, the Giants, they're looking to start Mike Glennon now for the rest of the year. That That tells you everything. Certainly does. Certainly does. Uh, AFC Texans Chargers. Uh, Chargers certainly probably now have to be content with playing for a wild card. They're in one of those spots at the moment at eight and six at the sixth seed. We know how tight that AFC is. I mean, the Broncos are the thirteenth seed and a seven and seven. That's how ridiculous the AFC is. They are seven and seven and the thirteenth seed. Um, so, yet yeah, nobody is out of it, really, apart from the three that are mathematically eliminated, who are obviously the Jags, the Texans, and the Jets. Um, but every other team in the AFC is 500 or better, which is an absolutely phenomenal statistic through 15 weeks of football. Um, but the Chargers are in possession at the moment. They will surely get the job done against the Texans, you would have thought, to... Uh, yeah. 
tighten their grip. Um, the game that is really intriguing, though, from an AFC playoff perspective is the Bengals and the Ravens. All of a sudden, the Ravens, if the season ended today, are not in the postseason. Um, and again, when we did this exercise a few weeks back, I said they wouldn't make it and had some strange looks. I don't know whether I fancy the Bengals to win this one or not. I mean, it's it's one of them. It could go either way. But, um, you know, certainly the Bengals at home, the Ravens on the back of that three-game skid, you would certainly expect the Bengals to be better offensively than they were against Denver. Um, I mean, this, look, it's a huge game. Absolutely huge game, isn't it, mate? Which way do you see it going? So both teams have not looked great. In the last few weeks, I think that even though the Bengals have been able to bag a couple of wins in the last few weeks, that they've not looked great doing it. Um, They didn't look great against Denver by any stretch and still managed to eke out the win. And it was definitely eke out. Um, The Ravens are finally seeing the other side to the way that they've played all season, which is that their poor starts have not been able to be resurrected at the end of games, you know, being that through their own hubris, um, potentially, but realistically, the Ravens are a middling team, I think, with these injuries. Um, you know, they've they've just been dealt a terrible hand with injuries this year, and that's why they are where they are. I think that the Bengals have enough to be able to see them past the Ravens currently. You know, if you know, I look a couple of weeks back at the Browns comfortably beating the Ravens until two minutes before uh, where the Ravens were able to actually get something going. Um, and I think that the Bengals are able to match that. So if they're able to match that, uh, Lamar Jackson's still a question mark over this week, I believe. And therefore you've got Huntley again. They've got a bit more tape on Huntley now, so we'll probably be able to scheme up a better defense on him. Um, I see it maybe being a one-score game, a low-scoring game, but I do see it going the Bengals' way. And yes, that might be a slight bit of homerism. I am definitely willing this into existence because I don't like the Baltimore Ravens, but also because I need the Bengals to beat the Ravens so that it helps the Browns. Please. I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters either way, does it? It does matter. Trust me, I've run. Yeah. I've ran we'll the talk, numbers. We'll talk about it off air. We'll talk about it. Off air. <laughs> um, I've but, spoken to you about it off air. You refute my data. My data is there. We'll talk about it off air. Panthers, Buccaneers, um, Buccaneers. Um, surely a good bounce back opportunity. You would have thought, yeah, um, particularly with the amount, particularly with the amount of sacks that Cam Newton seems to want to take. You would have thought that the Buccaneers defense will bounce back there. Uh, Seahawks, Bears. Oh my good lord! Good luck to Can anybody watching not? that one. Yeah, good luck to anybody watching that one. Seahawks and Bears. Raiders, Broncos. Two seven and seven sides. I mean, both still you know a long shot to probably get in because it is just so congested. But obviously. You know, it's essentially probably the start of the playoffs in terms of whoever loses this one can kiss it goodbye for definite. So that's a big game in the AFC West. The Chiefs and the Steelers is slated for 9.25 on Sunday, as things stand. Like I say, keep your eyes and ears peeled to the COVID situation in Kansas City. Um, Obviously, the Chiefs probably now the longest win streak, active win streak in the NFL. Obviously, at home against the Steelers, you would just have assumed would have been a fairly comfortable and routine victory. But if the Chiefs have to field a team without Tyreek Hill and without Travis Kelsey, I do struggle to see where they actually score points from. 
Um, and, you know, the Steelers' defences are absolutely the strength of that team. So, yeah. <laughs> it could be a bit of an Bet ugly one. Bet the under mm. on that game, whatever could the under be. is. Could be an ugly one. So, we will wait and see how that one progresses. Cowboys Washington which you know this is where the league are damned if they do and they're damned if they don't I think they have to give a couple of weeks notice to flex Sunday night football um, and I think if they knew now what they didn't know two weeks ago this would have been flexed it's a pretty meaningless game now um, but unfortunately it is what it is doesn't obviously make a great difference to us in the UK though um, but Cowboys Washington is your Sunday night offering and your Monday night football is the Saints and the Dolphins two seven and seven sides who would have thought six weeks ago we would have been saying that two seven and seven sides and a huge game for both of them because again the Dolphins although like still like you say way... it's another one where if you lose you're out probably Absolutely. for both of these teams Certainly for Miami, I mean, New Orleans, there's a little bit more wiggle room potentially in that NFC side, but certainly for Miami, I think any of those 7-7 seven and seven teams, outside of the Browns, ironically, any of the 7-7 seven seven teams that lose are probably out, obviously with the NFC, AFC North being the uh, the lowest winning mark required, if you like, to lead your division at the moment. The Browns probably the only ones that get a pass in terms of a loss this week, which is strange. <laughs> And it's, it is really strange and shows how congested it is. The Browns, if they'd have held on and Daniel Carson hadn't have hit that 48-yard, it would have been the uh, fourth seed in the AFC. As it is, they're the 12th seed. So that's just ridiculous how close Standard. it really is. Really is close. Um, lots of football to look forward to. Thursday night. Saturday, doubleheader, Sunday, Monday. Obviously, we'll wait and see what happens with COVID as to whether any of these games get moved elsewhere. Um, it's the last Thursday night football of the season, um, as there isn't one in week number 17. Oh, uh, so no, in... it will be missed. The random <laughs> Thursday nighters. Every time, every time to a Monday doubleheader. Everybody always said, can we just have this instead of Thursday night football? I think it would suit everybody so would. much more. So I'm going to get more. so many more viewers. Exactly, exactly. But um, it is what it is, isn't it, as things stand. It'd be even worse next year when it goes to Amazon Prime instead of actually on the network as well. So we'll wait and see what happens there. We can worry about that in 2022. For now, though, let's hope we get all these games on. Let's hope we get a good week of entertainment in and around the festive period. As I said earlier, Merry Christmas one and all. Thanks, as ever, for listening in. Um, Josh, before we do depart, though, um, you... I've probably been beavering away at the stats and the data, which is I always question. But um, give us your pre-Christmas playoff prediction. Right. So there's been a few movers from this week. Uh, I'll give you the NFC side first. Green Bay to have the number one seed, 14-3. and three. Um, I think they beat the Browns this week and they uh, continue on to, uh, to get that number one seed. Then you've got... Dallas versus Philadelphia, as your two versus seven. Uh, the Rams versus San Francisco, as your three versus six. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Arizona Cardinals, as your four versus five. Um, it's quite mad, actually, when you think that the uh, the four seeds for the NFC are 14 and three, and the rest are 13 and four. Um, the playoffs go 11 and 6, 10 and 7, and 9 and 8. Uh, the uh, Saints just miss out 
um, by virtue of I think that's by virtue of a of a loss to the um, yeah head to head tiebreaker with the Eagles. They lost with the Eagles earlier in the season. On the AFC side, the Kansas City Chiefs are now by far the number one seed on this side of the bracket. Uh, even if they lose to the Steelers, I still have them as the number one. Then. I have the Tennessee Titans at 11 and 6 and the second seed facing the Los Angeles Chargers at 11 and 6. The Buffalo Bills as the third seed 11 and 6 facing up against the New England Patriots at 11 and 6. Um, then the Cleveland Browns, I have kept it at the Browns for this week. You could be- basically put Browns slash Bengals. I feel like it's going to come down to that last game in week 18. Whoever that team is plays the Indianapolis Colts at 11 and 6. So realistically, I see the AFC being practically confirmed by week 16, 17, apart from the AFC North spot, where it comes down to week 18 as almost a pre wild card matchup because it's going to be Cleveland or Cincinnati as long as Cincinnati beat the Beng- beat the uh, Ravens this week I mean they can beat themselves if they want in the process but you know it's uh, it, it's coming down that way I feel it's going to be incredibly close all of this is incredibly close as I said last week mate if the Browns are in there sign me up now don't care who we get. Sign me up now. Right, that's it, folks. Enjoy your festive period. We will be back in some form next week to discuss the fallout from week 16 and look ahead to week 17 over the new year. Thanks ever so much for listening. We will be back soon. Speak to you all then. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to find us on all our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Head over to our website, full10yards.com, where you can find out more information about why we are hashtag for the game.